Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life-ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. Hello, For the Sake of the Child podcast listeners. We're so excited to let you know that we're starting a new podcast series focused on children of National Guard and Reserve personnel. We know that there are military children in almost every zip code, with nearly three-quarters of a million children of National Guard and Reserve personnel living in communities all around the United States. We want to ensure that these children, who serve alongside their parents, are not forgotten. This We Serve Too National Guard and Reserve Children podcast series will help parents, educators, and community members better support NGR military kids and better connect families to resources designed to support them. Watch for new Military Child Education Coalition professional development curriculum, We Serve Too, for educators, school administrators, and other youth-serving professionals so they can better equip to identify and support the National Guard and Reserve children in their schools and communities. This podcast and resources were developed in partnership with the Biden Foundation. Thank you for making a difference in the lives of military children. Welcome everyone to our podcast for the sake of the child. My name is Susan Sellers. I'm a spouse of an active duty service member, parent to three military kids, master parent to parent educator, and now a podcast host at the Military Child Education Coalition. Today we're gonna talk about National Guard and Reserve families. With me to share their perspectives are Kelly Morrison and Jenny Hartsock. Kelly is the mother of three beautiful children currently living on Fort Bragg in North Carolina, where her husband serves as an active duty intelligence officer. Kelly currently is a major in the Air Force Reserve, where she is assigned to the 916th Air Refueling Wing at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in Goldsboro, North Carolina. In her current position, she facilitates all personnel administration programs for her wing's approximately 1,500 members. In her free time, Kelly volunteers at her children's school, her local church, and with her husband's family readiness group. She loves to exercise, cook, and travel with her family while fitting in a good book or a movie once in a while. Jenny Hartsock is currently serving as a major in the Virginia National Guard as a public affairs officer, where she advises the Adjutant General of Virginia on matters of strategic communication and policy. In addition to her obligations for the National Guard, Jenny is a mom of three children ranging in ages of 13 to 4 months. Jenny also serves as a senior spouse for the 3rd Brigade Combat Team, 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg, where her husband is currently serving as a battalion commander. As an Army brat, service member, and military spouse, Jenny has moved a total of 11 times. She is also a certified kettlebell instructor, avid runner, and weightlifter. Jenny has completed seven marathons to include two Boston marathons. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. If you both could tell our listeners how you became involved in your current branch of service. Well, my uh, father, he was actually an Air Force colonel. He served for 30 years on active duty. He was a pilot. So him being a pilot, I really never imagined myself in a million years following in his footsteps. 
Um, but in high school, I was introduced to ROTC as a scholarship opportunity, and it worked out really well for me because I really wanted to go to school in a certain area of the country, but my family PCS to another part of the country, and I was not able to afford going to that school and being in that area without them, um, without the scholarship. So I was accepted, and still at that time, I really had no conception of what I was getting into. I saw my dad's career as his job. I didn't really have an appreciation for what he did. I loved being a part of the military, but I just, again, saw it as his job, so I never really considered what kind of impact he was having on uh, on his service members and airmen. And it was about halfway through ROTC, I, I, we go to a field training camp where I just had this overwhelming feeling of just understanding what what I was what I was doing. Um, it was in 2005. There was a lot going on in the Middle East, and in that training, I wasn't able to have contact with anyone outside of the people I was training with, and I just was overwhelmed by the gravity of what it meant to be a part of the military and and what we were doing around the world. Um, And so from then, I had a little bit uh, more motivation and um, clarity about why I was doing what I was doing. It wasn't just because it was part of my family. It was because I wanted to be the person that was having the same kinds of impacts that my dad did. Um, So... There I did. I commissioned out of St. Louis University in 2007, and I went to my first duty station in Kansas, um, and I served on active duty for um, just under seven years uh, and eventually married somebody in the Army. So my husband, Andy, as I, you mentioned, um, he's an intelligence officer here at Fort Bragg. So he's in the Army. Now my two younger brothers are in the Air Force. My brother-in-law is in the Army, and it's pretty much a family business at this point. So for me, transitioning from active duty to the reserves was pretty difficult. Um, I knew that I wasn't going to stay active duty forever, but at the time I wasn't really ready to transition to the reserve. But my husband and I ran into some roadblocks when my daughter, Teresa, was born. Um, She's currently four. And when she was born, my husband was up for an assignment, and I was also, I thought I was up for an assignment, but it turns out the Air Force wasn't uh, able to station me near my husband, and he actually was going to one of the areas of the country where there was plenty of opportunity to be stationed together. So that was a little bit disappointing and frustrating, but after talking to several mentors and couples that were in the same scenario, I decided to separate, and it's been the uh, best decision I could have ever made because I never expected to be able to continue serving as not only a dual military couple but also a dual branch couple um, while still being able to uphold the goals we had for our our growing family at the time. So fortunately, I'm very indebted to an old coworker who is from the very, very beginnings of my career. Um, I met him within weeks of... Uh, getting to my first duty station, and he happened to be an Air Force Reserve recruiter, and he's the one that he actually planted that seed in my brain at that time, but I kept in touch with him over the years, and he really brought a light to the end of my tunnel, and true to his word, the reserve has allowed me to have the opportunity to both be the mom and the officer that I want to be. Well, that's right. wonderful. It sounds like a, a a wonderful journey to to uh, to come full circle and and to be able to have the opportunity to continue to serve um, as a reservist. Jenny, can you now talk to us a little bit about the National Guard and how you you 
came to um, joining that community. Yes, and, and thank you for this opportunity, Susan. Like Kelly, uh, my story is very similar. I, too, am a, a military brat. However, my father was Army. And his last assignment was at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, where the Army Engineer Schoolhouse is located. And I got involved in my high school JROTC or junior uh, ROTC unit there and just realized that there were so many opportunities to serve. And I wanted to, to follow in my father's footsteps. It was the only thing I knew, uh, but I was also just very intrigued and motivated by the work that my father had was doing. Um, and so I, um, as you stated, Susan, I, I did go on to uh, West Point, graduated West Point in 2003. I was able to serve over six years active duty and then transferred my commission to the Army National Guard with the intentions to serve three more years. But here I am, and I'm very proud to say nearly 17 years of total uh, service, I'm still able to serve. And just like Kelly was saying, just feel overwhelmed with gratitude for this opportunity to continue to serve uh, while my husband is active duty Army. Well, I'm just learning about guardsmen and reservist families. Can both of you elaborate a little bit about maybe the differences and or the similarities between the two groups? Yes, Susan. So I'm in the National Guard, the Virginia National Guard. And the National Guard consists of the Army National Guard as well as the Air Force has a National Guard as well. And because of its unique dual constitutional authority, the National Guard is it's a great bridge across both state and federal government boundaries. So typically, the National Guard is organized and controlled by the state. However, in times of war, as we all know, especially since 9-11, the National Guard can become federalized and deployed. During local emergencies, the National Guard units assist communities um, that are endangered by um, storms and floods and fires and other disasters. The National Guard is exceptionally suited for its homeland defense role due to its geographically dispersed forces. We're in urban areas, we're in rural areas, and we have links to those local communities. In fact, some of our guardsmen are even elected officials within their own community or police officers or paramedics. And we have those very deep ties to our state and local governments. Some of our guardsmen have been born and raised in our fourth, fifth generation guardsmen. So as you can imagine, they definitely have that, that direct um, and unique tie back to the state and local government. Um, and these relationships allow for rapid response, particularly in times of emergency. Interesting. Okay. And then, Kelly, can you talk to us a little bit about the Air Force Reserve? Do they have some similarities to the guardsmen? Yes, yes, and, and Jenny kind of t touched on the, the biggest difference, which is the chain of command the, and, and reserve being a federal organization as opposed to re related to the state. So our chain of command is the same as active duty. We fulfill missions and requirements that are very similar to active duty and almost the same, but we also supplement active duty requirements. So, for example, when we deploy, we might be deploying with active duty personnel. We might be fulfilling positions that are typically filled by active duty, but we're available, so we're we're substituting for those um, in those capacities. Or we might have our own unique local missions, but but they're basically the same as as active duty. Jenny did not uh, talk about this yet, but we do have 
specific drill periods and active duty periods that are required to work. So that is one thing that is similar between the guard and the reserve. And I think that both of us will probably touch in the in later in the podcast about how, regardless of how much time you're obligated by policy to work on the weekends or during the year for your annual tour time, we do often work above and beyond those requirements to satisfy whatever the the mission is that we have. Interesting, and and I'm just just listening and trying to absorb all of this, and you know from the involvement that you you just mentioned, you know that it's more than just weekend drill, which is you know going away on the weekend to wherever you're assigned to the two weeks of annual tour, which is the obligation that you have in the summer. You know this involvement has to create some difficulties for your families, and then on top of it, you're both married to active duty soldiers. Can you share some of the challenges that you have faced with this added family dynamic? Sure. Um, as uh, I mentioned before, coming from a military family, I definitely knew what I was getting into in terms of military obligation. Um, I was less familiar with the Army, so this has been a big learning curve for me since my husband did commission in the Army. But I, I think the biggest challenge for me through this experience has been child care. I mentioned that I separated or transitioned when my daughter was four. I have a seven-year-old son and a four-month-old son as well. My first reserve job, I lived locally to my assigned unit, which was amazing. Um, I didn't know how good I had it at the time. It uh, definitely made my experience much easier being local to the unit because I could be flexible and I could come in at a time when they needed me to come on short notice and things like that to uh, satisfy those mission requirements where they were maybe a little bit shorthanded. My current position, I work about an hour and a half from Fort Bragg on a good day. Sometimes it's a little bit longer of a commute, and this didn't seem like a big problem initially, but it turns out finding part-time child care uh, and child care to cover being gone for the distance has been a little bit more difficult on top of the fact that um, the kind of tempo at Fort Bragg and just in the Army in general is, is a little bit different than what I was used to being in the Air Force, being at PT at 5.30 in the morning and, you know, the airborne operations schedule, it was really challenging to work around. So I have had a hard time finding that part-time care and I've pretty much exhausted every combination of primary care outside of using family members and neighbors to help me. I've been really successful kind of with a combination of using the child care provided through military programming um, and then private care such as, you know, babysitters and nannies to, to get what I need to do. And um, fortunately, my chain of command is really supportive and I, I have been able to do a lot of those extra uh, type days from home. Um, it doesn't always work that way, but uh, it is helpful to be able to do that, and I'm lucky that I have the crew field and, um, like I said, the chain of command that, that supports that. Well, you're very lucky because, as you mentioned, you're you're having to travel an hour and a half to obviously more um, to your, your duty assignment, and I guess one of my follow-up questions would be, is there not the option to have a duty assignment closer to you, um, to where you live? Can you... Does and, and a follow-up would be, does that duty assignment transfer when you eventually are going to have to PCS since your husband is in an active duty job? Right. Um, the key for that is having an available position. So, um, for example, when I PCSed here uh, several months before I knew Andy was PCSing, I 
did a little research to find out what units were around. Um, Hope Army Airfield used to be a very active reserve wing, so and I was unaware that they had closed. Um, so I was uh, anticipating being able to find work there. And often uh, on active duty bases, there are reserve opportunities. Um, you just have to kind of know where to look for those, as they're not always advertised um, very well. Uh, but you basically do have to rely on the fact that there is an open position for you, not only for your um, career field or job, but also in terms of rank. Because if you are trying to transition from one unit to the other and you're in uh, a promotion window, they call it, you have to be a primary member in that position in order to get promoted. And so for, fortunately for me, I have been able to, to do that. I, I transitioned at the right time and I was able to find a position. The good thing about the reserves is that there's several uh, ways that you can participate, um, different programs that require varying levels of service obligation throughout the year. So I've actually been able to switch um, in between different programs without getting too technical uh, to allow me to um, find an open position. So um, that is a really big benefit of the reserve. Absolutely, especially with the uncertainty of the job, being able to have that. Jenny, can you now speak, though, um, to some of the challenges that you that you face in the Guard? Yes, I have to start with um, the National Guard is um, particularly uh, a little bit more difficult to continue service while your spouse is active duty. So in my case, my spouse being active duty, we face multiple permanent change of station moves. Um, in, in, in our personal situation, it's been four PCSs in four years. Um, and all the while, I have been able to remain in the Virginia National Guard. While I've been able to make it work with the Virginia National Guard, it's truly due to my command's unwavering support and encouragement and I would not be able to serve without that. Um, and I say this because with the Virginia National Guard, or any National Guard, I should say, you are typically doing your training, your annual training, or your individual uh, training for the weekend drills at that state. So if your spouse is the active duty service member that moves to Kansas, and of course you, you move to Kansas as well, um, making those duties back to the state of Virginia can become quite difficult, quite challenging. That travel to drill is not paid for. Uh, that is something that the service member is required to to attend. It would, would be that drill, and therefore they're also uh, required to pay for that travel, whether that be airfare or, of course, um, a personally owned vehicle uh, traveling cross-country to make it to drill. So, again, just to emphasize, you know, serving in the National Guard, particularly challenging because the move or the job does not transfer. Child care, definitely another one, and Kelly touched on a lot of this. Often, and I actually just ran into this situation, Susan, where I was looking for child care um, for an upcoming drill, and this particular military base that I contacted, um, they're a smaller base, and they really don't allow for drop-in care. And even if they do allow for drop-in care, they just don't, they, they can't support it. They just cannot keep the staff that they would need that would allow that um, influx of children 
um, with the unpredictability. Um, so while I was unable to get child care at that particular military base, um, there was another one nearby that I could have used that would have been um, a 45-minute drive on top of, of the, the three-and-a-half-hour drive that I'm already doing to, to make it to uh, that child care facility. So I did find another child care facility nearby um, that's willing uh, to allow my son to, to drop in. Another thing of note, this is more uh, unique to the National Guard, is that often our drill halls um, or where we conduct our drill, our weekend drill or our annual training, are located in rural areas. Back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, this is where they made the drill halls. The infrastructure was built in rural areas because the population that joined that National Guard often came from those communities and those surrounding communities, well, with the generational shift, most people are actually residing more in urban areas. And so you have this huge um, drove of soldiers coming from an urban area, all driving to a rural area to conduct their, their drill. And just with it being a little bit more rural, there might be less opportunities, you know, for child care. And then, of course, you've got the added um, uh, just the added challenge of, of making it there and um, juggling, of course, any other um, civilian work requirements that you may have as well. Um, also, while most of the general population view the National Guard as a commitment that's just one weekend a month and two weeks a year, when you obtain higher ranks, your responsibilities increase and often you're doing work and serving well outside of that typical authorized um, time or identified time, I should say. Um, so, and, and that's something that we're all happy to do. Um, often we've got people who, um, you know, need evaluations or they're waiting, you know, for an email response. And, well, that email can't, response can't uh, wait until, you know, the next drill weekend. So, again, we do often work well outside of the boundaries of the one week in the month and two weeks a year. Well, it definitely sounds like it is so much more, as you, as you said, um, than just the, the commitment that you uh, signed up for. And I'm sure that these complications that you both have shared are common among all guardsmen and reservists. And as someone who wants to understand you know, these unique communities better, what would you say are some of maybe the social or emotional obstacles that our Guard and Reservist children may be facing? So some of the challenges that our National Guard children face is that uh, often they can be in communities that do not have a significant military population. So it's possible that this particular military-connected child would be in a school or a community where people are unaware that they are military connected. So this could include uh, teachers and coaches and school counselors and church staff. Again, they may not be aware, and I can only imagine the challenge with this. My um, eight-year-old has endured quite a few deployments with my active duty husband. And, of course, he's always been, almost always, has been in a community where there's been a number of services and a number of military children. After each deployment, there's always that transitional period where my son withdraws. Um, he acts out a little bit more. We do have some um, behavioral issues that we have to work on. Um, and so, but I, I make sure that I communicate with those teachers and with his coaches and his counselors what is going on. And then there are 
many, a plethora of services because we're more often than not at an active duty military base. And so um, they're also trained and equipped on on how to handle that. And again, there are services for that. And um, often that's not the case for our our National Guard children. Um, But I will also say that the Virginia National Guard family programs they are doing exceptional work to ensure um, that all across the state of Virginia uh, that teachers and counselors and coaches and and churches and various communities are aware of these military-connected children um, and are are doing everything that they can to spread awareness. Wonderful. Well, it sounds like the key is to just identifying these kids and where they are in these communities is the first step to kind of understanding the, the unique lifestyle that our, our guardsmen and our reservist families face. Kelly, is there anything you'd like to add? Jenny pretty much covered everything I would have said. I think that we are very lucky to have this support of the active duty community around us because our kids do have the you know lifestyle of our spouse to sort of understand why we're gone. Um, the one thing that I've noticed since my kids have grown a little bit and become a little bit more aware of what I'm doing is that they do have a a harder time relating to what I do. And I think that this would be similar to a lot of, you know, my coworkers in the reserves because we are, we are in Goldsboro, North Carolina. We have people driving similarly to Jenny, four hours, six hours. Some people fly to get to drill and to annual tours. So their kids really don't ever have a face-to-face interaction with their job. Um, whereas, you know, my son, we go up to where my husband works multiple times a week. He can see what my husband does every day. He can touch the equipment that my husband uses every day. And that's not the case um, for me. They don't uh, have as much of a connection to why I do what I do. So I think that sometimes, um, you know, that is a challenge for me to be able to articulate to them and to make this real for them so that when I do have to leave, um, it's, it's, they understand it a little bit more. They they inherently have a lot a lot more trouble when I leave than they do when my husband leaves because he leaves more often. And and when I do leave, it's not as predictable. They get used to things after a month is over. And and even if I did just do the one one week in a month and annual tour uh, schedule, I think that especially for young kids, that could be hard because a lot changes over the course of a month and. The routine is not a routine anymore, and I, I like to talk about that with people because it's so different from when I was on active duty, both um, for my own comfort and for their comfort. When I was on active duty or when I put them in full-time child care, I knew where they were every every day. I knew who they were with. They knew who they were with. They had comfort in the routine of that child care, and um, that isn't necessarily the case Um in in this environment. They're not always with the same people. My kids in the last year have been to about 10 different providers outside family, so I don't really feel like I'm able to give them that kind of comfort. So I think that those absences uh, sometimes are a little more stressful because it's it's unpredictable for them, too. They don't always know um, how long their their parents are going to be gone for. Is it going to be two days this month and six days next month or whatever the case may be, because we are changing our mission. Our missions are changing every day. And with uh, the funding struggles that, you know, everyone is having within the government these days, it becomes even more unpredictable. 
for us to plan things and to be able to set things um, and prepare our children ahead for what's coming down the pipe. If you don't mind if I add one other thing, Susan, that I, I realized I forgot. Yes. And it is a, quite a uh, challenge because, and this is something I did not even know before I joined the Guard, but in order to make sure that the Guard runs in a very consistent manner, well, we need to have uh, soldiers who serve in a full-time capacity in the National Guard. And these particular people, we call them AGR, Active Guard Reserve. So with that, they are really, they're active duty, but in the National Guard, if that makes any sense. Well, with that, and of course, as we all know, um, you as you spend time in the National Guard, you will uh, gain rank and you will have to change jobs. Well, with the changing of the jobs, it's almost inevitable that you're going to have to move within your state quite a few times. Well, to keep that consistency with the family, often our full-time AGR staff will move and move to their new location, and their family will remain behind. Over a 20-year career, um, this could happen 10, 12, 15 years, cumulative, if that makes any sense. Um, So the families could be left in a very rural community where the active duty uh, or the AGR service member will be serving elsewhere in the state. And often I have, you know, in in communicating with other National Guard soldiers why they leave the military service and why they're not going to continue serving in the National Guard, I often hear that it is the child care um, that's a reason that, that soldiers are unable to be retained and have decided to depart the service. So um, I just want to um, thank you for allowing this opportunity, too, to kind of bring that to light because I think it is something that needs to, to be looked at and discussed more. No, absolutely, and thank you for following up with that point, Jenny. And I think a lot of the struggles you you or challenges that you both mentioned are we can find not only in active duty families, but there were some that really stood out that are unique to our, our guard and reservist children. And though they have these struggles that can make life tougher for them, you know, the uncertainty of the job, the um, the inconsistent consistent schedule. I'm sure though there are some benefits that you guys have seen that children have growing up with a reservist or guard parent. Absolutely. And and this brings me back to thinking about myself as a military child. Um, I don't know that many people who have spent their entire career um, in the reserves. Uh, There's a lot of people that start on active duty and transition to the reserve like I did, but I haven't noticed too much of a difference in in this philosophy that I'm about to describe. But I do remember as a kid thinking through middle school, even high school, well, I just wish that I could have the same friends all the time. I wish that I could always have the same friends. I'm tired of moving around. Moving around as as an active duty child and also for my kids now that we're part of another active duty family, it's a struggle, but it's a way of life that I'm, I'm so grateful for now. And I can only hope that my kids would have had this from my husband's career, but if I were in the reserves, I would hope my kids would still develop into resilient and independent citizens who understand that the importance of contributing to our country in this way. I know that as a person, I grew up not debilitated by change or uncertainty because most of the time my life was pretty uncertain. And I think that despite the fact that the reserves does offer some opportunity for some 
some stability that it does, um, as we have discussed through this entire time, bring a lot of uncertainty along with it. But I still feel that I'm so proud to be a part of this organization, and I know that I watch my kids every day. They're proud to be a part of this, and they do see that both my husband and myself are contributing to something bigger than bigger than just our family, just our church, just our local community. And I don't know that they really understand what that is yet, but I can see that they um, they understand that departures and separations and long hours and long days, those are just, that's just part of our life. And I, I really love that they have that idea in their head. Specifically with regards to my daughter, um, I love that she can see that I can still be this great mom, I hope, and um, serve in the military at the same time. And similarly, I also love that the Reserve and the Guard, I love how much we value the professional experience of its members outside the military. This is not something I think that my kids conceptualize now, but I talk about it with my kids all of the time. We depend in the Reserves on a variety of skill sets that people bring from the civilian workforce to enhance and aid our military mission. And I love telling my kids, you can be a teacher and you can be a pilot at the same time. Or I talk about my younger brother who recently transitioned career fields, but he was previously a nurse on the outside and a loadmaster on a C-5. So one day he's in the OR and another day he's flying to Spain, loading cargo on this huge airplane I just love that someone can do something completely different in their civilian life and in the reserves or in the military do something entirely different or similar in either way have two very successful careers. It's almost like we lead a double life, and I think that that is something extremely exciting, and I think that it does motivate my kids to do better in their life every day because they're excited about what the what they can do in the future. Kelly, I absolutely love that perspective. I think that is fantastic. Jenny, what would you like to add? I think Kelly did an excellent job uh, doing an overview of some of those benefits, and I feel exactly the same, so just echoing what what she said there. So I will just uh, talk about a few anecdotes that I think are kind of cool. So you asked the question, what are some benefits that you see growing up with a reserve or guard parent? So my son, when he was three, was really into construction equipment, and I was an engineer officer for many years. Many of that was an active duty, but I was an engineer officer in the National Guard as well, and he just thought it was so cool that when we drove past the construction site, mom could name all the equipment, the dozers, the scrapers, the bucket loaders, you name it, and he just thought it was really cool, and without my military experience, I would have had no clue. I just would have told him it was a big truck, and he probably would have been fine with that too. Uh, but I loved that I just had that that rich experience that I was able to not only name the equipment but to talk about it and to tell him what, what role each piece of construction equipment had out there um, that he was observing. And now I'm a public affairs officer, so they just think it's really cool that mom knows how to do YouTube videos, and um, so that's how I <laughs> – with my kiddos. But um, also, I just wanted to say, too, that there's another benefit that they see that mom continues her education. Since I've been in the National Guard, I have actually done, and I'm sure Kelly is the same way, I well over thousands of hours of continuing education, um, whether that be the captain's career course or the command and general staff college. Uh, I just recently was a graduate of DINFOS, which is the Defense Information School. 
Um, just for example there, I had to do 400 hours of remote college work uh, before I was allowed to actually attend the schoolhouse for uh, DINFOS. Um, and so this is, of course, uh, it actually dovetails into another question we talked about. That's well outside of that one weekend a month, two weeks a year as well. Um, but I think it's always just so important when they see a parent is continuing, continuing their education. And often I would get the question, Mom, you already have your high school diploma. You already have your college degree and then your master's degree, which the National Guard um, very much requires if you want to continue in rank past major, of course. You know, why are you continuing with your education? And it just allowed me that opportunity to uh, explain to them that, that learning is going to be through a lifetime and we don't just graduate from high school and say, okay, I'm done, or get our bachelor's degree and say, okay, I'm done. We're going to continue with that. And then it's, it, it's so awesome when what you are learning, too, is also just um, making your service to – or making you be able to um, serve your country even better because you're learning about um, – whether that be leadership or refining your job or even learning about um, strategic levels. Um, so all that, just this huge benefit to our children growing up in this environment. Well, I think you both touched on a, a core um, aspect that we share a lot of times at INSEC, which is children learn more from what you do than what you say. And by you both showing your commitment to service, um, your ability to do multiple things, very unique, whether it's being a nurse or being a loader or and continuing on with your education. I think all of those things are benefits that reservists and guard children can see in their families. And I also think that we touched upon it a little bit, you know, because of the uncertainty that children then value perhaps the quality of time together as a family, not so much as the, the quantity of time. So our podcast is about telling stories. Do you guys have any final inspirational story or message for us that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, I know that there, um, most every state probably has a family programs office. I can really only talk to the Virginia National Guard's family office, our family programs office. And I recently learned that there is a teen council for the Virginia National Guard family programs. So this is an advisory council in which they have to apply. They have to go through an application process, write an essay. And then when they're on this teen advisory council, they sign on for a whole year. It's a commitment where they help advise the Virginia National Guard Family Programs Office and Director. Um, in that, they in turn get to receive leadership skills um, or leadership classes to refine their leadership skills. Uh, and I, I just think it's, it's a wonderful uh, thing that they can put on a college application, uh, helps them compete for scholarships. In anticipation for the 2019 month of the military child, the Virginia National Guard um, youth program is encouraging their um, service members to sign up for certificates of recognition. So, for example, I can nominate my children uh, to receive the cer certificate of recognition and any child who's nominated and their service connected um, through the Virginia National Guard, they're going to receive this uh, certificate in the mail and it's just something for them saying thank you for your sacrifice they're also hosting a virginia national guard youth camp this is something that they do every year in uh, camp pendleton which is located uh, in virginia beach virginia and 
it's um, educational, very team-oriented, resilient building, all sorts of activities designed to strengthen emotional, social, and community support of the Virginia National Guard youth. So I would just like to leave um, that inspirational story, and um, we're so grateful for our Virginia National Guard uh, family programs for all the work that they do. Well, Jenny, it definitely sounds like those are some wonderful programs, and I love that you mentioned the Teen Council because not only do I think it's great for our high school resume, um, but also it's about making connections, you know, especially when we had discussed that a lot of these teens are in these teens and children, you know, of all ages are located in communities where there may not be a military presence. So I think that Virginia is really tapping into a identifying um, their military, their military connected reservists and guardsmen and also just showing their appreciation. I love the idea that these kids are going to get certificates because it is a family investment. It is a dedication and sacrifice by our families for um, whenever somebody is serving. Kelly, do you have any other stories or messages you'd like to share with us? Um, no, I just wanted to say thank you for this opportunity. I don't really get to speak about uh, my job in such a, a great forum, and especially with regard to, to families. I know uh, it is difficult to be a reserve family, to be an active duty family, to be a guard family, but the point is that we are all one big family um, supporting lots of different missions throughout our country, and it's just really nice to be able to echo some of the challenges that that families are dealing with, not just service members. So I, I really appreciate um, the opportunity. Thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to us today and for sharing your knowledge and perspective with our listeners. I mean, I really have learned a lot today about the National Guard and Reserve communities, and I am so humbled by your dedication to our country. So thank you for your service as a spouse and as a soldier. Thank you so much for having us, Susan. To all our listeners, thank you for joining us today. Please like, share, and subscribe, and we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you'd like to hear more about. Have a great day. This podcast has been made possible by the generous support of the Biden Foundation. If you want to know more about the Biden Foundation, check out a podcast we did with them in the fall called Back to School with the Biden Foundation. You will find the link in the show notes below. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.